Amen. All right, well, we're there in Isaiah chapter number 48, and we've been making our way through the book of Isaiah. We've been taking one uh, chapter a week, and this is now our 48th week. Can you believe that? In the book of Isaiah, and we're going we're gonna to make it to the end, all right? We're going to endure unto the end and get to the end of the, of the book there and, and take 66 weeks and study the book of Isaiah together. And uh, this chapter, I'll be honest with you, is a little difficult to outline. I try to usually uh, outline the text and the chapter, sometimes make it alliterated and maybe try to help you remember some of the points, but this was kind of a difficult chapter to outline. So tonight what we're going to do is we're just going to go through the text. We're going to read it and make application as we go along. So if you look at verse number one, the Bible says in Isaiah 48 and verse one, hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which, I want you to make note of these words, are called by the name of Israel. It says that they are called by the name of Israel and, notice these words, are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear, notice these words, by the name of the Lord, and make, make mention, and I want you to notice these words, make mention of the God of Israel. Now here's what he said. They are called by the name of Israel. They come forth out of the waters of Judah. They swear by the name of the Lord. They make mention of the God in Israel. But I want you to notice the, the commentary that we get from this. It says, but not but not in truth, nor in righteousness. Look at verse 2. For they call themselves of the holy city. They, they, they say, hey, we're of the holy city. We are uh, called by the name of Israel, and we came forth from Judah, and we are, you know, we swear by the name of the Lord, and we even make mention of, of the God of Israel. But the Bible says, and, and look at verse 2, for they call themselves of the holy city and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. Here's what you've got to understand. These people are saying everything that's right to say. They're saying, we're from the God of Israel. We're from the holy city. This is who we are. This is what we believe. But I want you to notice the Bible says at the end of verse 1, but not in truth, nor in righteousness. And here's what you got to understand. In these first two verses, you, you, you can learn this idea that you cannot trust everyone who says that they call upon the Lord or that they belong to God or that they even call themselves a Christian. Keep your finger there in Isaiah 48, because we're going to come back to Isaiah 48. But go with me to 1 John chapter number 4 in the New Testament. 1 John chapter number 4. And if you start from the back, if you start at the book of Revelation and you go backwards, you're going to go past the book of Jude, which is one chapter, and then you'll find 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. Go to 1 John chapter number 4 and look at verse number 1. 1 John chapter number 4 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try. Now the word try means to test. The, the word try means to, to put to a test, to, to, to make it prove itself. Now notice what he says. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Say, well, why would I have to try the spirits? Why don't I just believe every spirit? Why don't I just, you know, anyone who shows up at my door, knocking on a door, and they've got a book, and they look religious, why don't I just trust them? Why don't I just trust every TV preacher? Why don't I just trust just every preacher on YouTube? Why don't I just trust every preacher on the radio? Why don't I just trust just anyone and everyone who says that they are of God, or that they are called of God, or that they are holy? Why don't we trust them? Notice First John 4, 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the the spirits, whether they are of God, because, like we talked about this morning, many false prophets are gone out into the world. You've got to understand this. Not everyone who says they're a Christian is a Christian. And not everyone who says they're right with God is right with God. And not everyone who says that they preach right doctrine actually preaches right doctrine. And we ought not have a critical spirit and a bad attitude. But here's what we should have. Some discernment and the ability to be able to try and test and prove the preachers that you're listening to or the books that you're reading or whatever it is you're involved in to make sure that they are actually preaching correctly. And you say, well, how do you know that? How do I know that the guy on the radio is not a heretic? How do I know that the guy on television is not on, uh, a heretic? Go with me to Acts, uh, the book of Acts, chapter number 17. Acts chapter 17. I know these verses are familiar to many of you, but let's look at them together. Acts chapter 17. Let me just give you a hint. If they're on TV, that's a good indication that they're a false prophet. All right? <laughs> you preach the word of God, and you preach it without compromise, and you stand up for what God says, they're not going to let you on TV very long. Right? So that ought to just be uh, 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 a red flag right there. If the world loves them, 
they're probably not right with God. The Bible says they hated Jesus. The Bible says that, you know, they, they called the master of the house Beelzebub, and when we are his servants, they're not going to like us either. But go to Acts chapter number 17 and look at verse number 10. Acts chapter number 17 and verse 10. The Bible says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea. Remember the, the church at Berea? Who coming hither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Look at verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, that they received the word with all readiness of mind. I want you to notice how they received the word. They did not receive the word critically. They did not receive the word negatively. These people were not sitting in church and just folding their arms and just waiting for the pastor to say just the wrong thing because I'm going to get him and I'm going to tell him, you know, you misspoke or you referenced the wrong verse or you. They, they, they received the word with all readiness of mind. Here's what that means. They came to church ready to receive the word, ready to be instructed, ready to be corrected, ready to be taught the Bible. But notice, they received the word with all readiness of mind and, and search the script daily, whether those things were so. So notice, they didn't have a bad attitude. They came to church and they said, Paul, we want to learn. Paul, we want to be taught. Paul, we want you to teach us the Word of God. But then they went home on Monday and they searched the Scriptures and, and, and they studied the Bible. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that is not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. And they went home on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. They read the Bible for themselves and they made sure that what was being taught in church on Sunday was what the Bible actually says. And you've got to understand, you've got to get to the place where that's your Christianity. You ought not ever believe anything that anyone says just because they say, including me. You, you know, if somebody asks you a question, say, well, why do you believe this? Or why do you do that? Why do you go there? Or why, why, why do you guys do? If your answer is, well, I don't know, that's what pastor taught me. That's the wrong answer. You need to study the Bible. You need to search the scriptures. You need to try the spirits to see whether they be of God. Because not everyone, if you go back to Isaiah 48, not everyone who calls themselves by the name of Israel, not everyone who says that uh, they, they make mention of God, not everyone who calls themselves of the holy city and say it there from the right place, not everyone actually is because some do it not in truth. So in verses 1 through 2 there, we see that you can't just trust everyone who calls themselves a Christian. You've got to try the spirits. You've got to make sure they're, reading the, they're preaching the right stuff, that they're preaching the right book, that they're actually teaching doctrine that comes out of the Word of God. Look at verse 3, Isaiah 48. Look at verse 3. In verses 3 through 7, God gives us uh, some reasons as to why He gives us prophecy. Look at verse 3. He says, I have declared the former things from the beginning. Now, the former things are referring to the, the things that are going you know, that, that to happen later on. And he says, I declared what's going to happen at the end. He said, I declared that from the beginning. And they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them. I did them suddenly, and they came to pass, because I knew that thou art obstinate, and thy neck is an iron sinew, and thy brow brass. Look at verse 5. I have even, from the beginning, declared it to thee. Before it came to pass, I showed it thee, lest thou shouldest say. So you say, well, why does God, why did God give us prophecy? Why do we have the book of Revelation? Why do we have the book of Daniel? Why did God give us all these prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ coming? We'll see these uh, in in the next several uh, chapters as we get into Isaiah. You know, why did God give us these prophecies? And here's one reason. He said, lest thou shouldest say, my idols have done them, and my graven image, and my molten image hath commanded them. He, here's what he said. He said, I told you from the beginning what was going to happen at the end, because I wanted to make sure, this is what God would say, I wanted to make sure that God, that I, as you know, God speaking there would say that I got the credit for what happened. Because we have the amazing ability to get the credit to everyone except God. And listen, you ought to just get this idea that the credit should always go to God. When you give your testimony, it ought not be all about you. You know, people, sometimes there's some people give, give their testimony and it's like, let me tell you about, you know, my testimony. I was in, on this drug and I was over here and I was a male prostitute. And I'm just like, good night. I don't need to hear all this, you know. Let me tell you, I did this and I did that. And I, listen, we don't need to hear all that. We just need to hear about what Jesus did for you. You understand that? It's not, we, we, we have this tendency to turn our testimony into, let me tell you all about me. It's not about you. It's about Christ. 
You know, and, and, and those types of testimonies, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're really a bad way to kind of indoctrinate the next generation because here's what my kids grow up thinking. Oh, I've got to go live in the world in order to have a good testimony. I mean, what's the guy who got saved, you know, who grew up in a Christian home and got saved at a young age? What is he supposed to say? Oh, let me tell you about my testimony. My mom, she told me to clean my room, and I didn't. And, you know, and I wouldn't eat my broccoli. I would stick it in my pocket and throw it away. But then Jesus showed up. You know, listen to me. It's all about Christ. And your testimony ought to be used as a tool to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's all about bringing glory. We were created for his pleasure. And even here he says, why did I give you prophecy? So that I would get the credit. So that you wouldn't say, mine idol had done it. Or my graven image or my molten image have commanded them. Look at verse 6. Here's another reason why he gave us prophecy. Thou hast heard, see all this, and will not ye declare it? I have showed thee new things from this time. Even hidden things. He said, hidden things, and thou didst not know them. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 is an interesting verse. They are created now, not from the beginning. So here, the Bible, here God is telling us, he's still creating things. There are things that he created. There are things that he created in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. But then here in Isaiah 48, he says, I'm creating things now. He says, they are created now. And not from the beginning, even before the day when thou heardest them not, lest thou shouldest say, he says, here's why I do it. Here's why I hid things from you. Here's why I gave you prophecy that you don't understand. Lest thou shouldest say, behold, I knew them. Here's what he's saying. God gives us prophecy in order so that we can give him the credit. But God gives us prophecy so that we can realize that we don't know everything. We don't understand everything. And we have this ability, especially in our society with with the access we have to the Internet and the access we have to all the different resources, we got this ability to just want to get real puffed up and think that, well, I just know everything about everything and I've got this thing put together. And God says, look, you don't know everything. There are some things that God knows that you don't know. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let Let me give you some cross references. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Knowledge puffeth up, and we ought to be knowledgeable, and we ought to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we need to guard from this know-it-all attitude, and I know it all, and I've heard it all, and I don't need to hear it again. And God says, there are things that you don't know, and by the way, there are things that you will never know. There are things in Scripture that we will never understand. Let me prove it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, look at verse 9. 1 Corinthians 13. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is normally known as the charity chapter, and it deals with all the concepts of charity. But there are a few verses that deal with the idea of prophecy. Notice what it says. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 9. This is what the Apostle Paul said. And under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, the Apostle Paul is writing the book of 1 Corinthians. And here's what's interesting. The man who's penning these words is the man who was used of God under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to write most of the New Testament. I mean, if anybody knows what they're talking about, it's the Apostle Paul. And notice what he says, 1 Corinthians 13, 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect... Now, if you remember from our study in James, the word perfect doesn't mean, you know, without error, like what we, the way we use it today. In our Bible here, the word perfect just means complete. And here's what he says. But when that which is complete, when that which is whole, when that which is perfect has come. He says, when Jesus comes back and everything's right and everything's balanced and everything's the way it's supposed to be. He says, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. He said, there will come a time when we will understand. We will get it. We will understand everything. We will know everything. But he says, right now, we know in part. We prophesy in part. Look at verse 12. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. He says, now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. He says, I don't know everything. And by the way, neither do you. And that's a good thing, to realize that there's always more to learn. To realize that there's always more to apply. To realize that there's, there's always a reason to come back to church, to hear the Bible preach. So, well, I, I've li- why would I come on a Wednesday night? I've heard all the sermons on Samuel. I've heard all the sermons on Saul. I've heard all the sermons on David. I've heard about David and Goliath. I've heard all those things. But listen, there's always more to learn. You don't know it all. Go to Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter number 3. We need to avoid this know-it-all Attitude means to realize that God has purposely hidden things from us. Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 1. Philippians chapter 3, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 
You can find those books. They're right by Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 1. Notice what Paul said. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Notice what he says. To write the same thing to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. You know that it's safe? It's a good thing to just hear things over and over again. Say, how many sermons do we have to hear on alcohol? How many sermons do we need to hear on divorce? How many sermons do we need to hear? You know, I've already heard all the Nehemiah sermons. I don't need to come back on Sunday morning. Listen, it's safe for you to hear it again. He says, to write the same thing to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. And if you study the epistles of Paul, you may notice that there are some epistles where it just seems like, man, Paul, did you just copy and paste? I mean, there's like stuff he writes in Ephesians and stuff he writes in Colossians, and it's like the same thing. And you think, why did he do that? Because for you, it is safe to hear the same thing over and over and over. Because we're prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We have a tendency to forget, and we have a tendency to get back to it, and we have a tendency to just kind of go back to our old lifestyle. We just need to hear it again, and we need to hear it again, and we need to hear it again. And God says, I gave you prophecy just to remind you that you don't know everything. Go to Deuteronomy 29. Let me show you a great verse about this. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. In the Old Testament, you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Notice what he says. Deuteronomy chapter 29, in verse 29. I, I, I love this verse. You got to underline this verse. You got to memorize this verse. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. You know that there are some secret things that we will never know. We will never know because the secret things belong unto the Lord of God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us. Now, there are things that God has revealed to us. The book of Revelation is a book that God has revealed to us. And those things which are revealed belong unto us. He says the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. Now, here's the application. And don't miss the last part of verse 29. That we may do. Do you see that? That we may do all the words of this law. Here's what he's saying. There are some things that only God knows. And there are some things that are revealed and we know. And he says, stop worrying so much about what you don't know and just start worrying about what you do know. And once you start doing and applying what you do know. And you can spend the rest of your life doing what you know you should be doing. Not being a hearer only, but a doer of the word. And just realize that we don't know it all. And one of those reasons for prophecy is just to humble us and just to show us. You don't know. And look, there are times people... Ask me questions from the Bible, and the honest answer is, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know what that's talking about. You know, we'll spend the rest of our life studying it and learning it and memorizing it and trying to apply it and trying to figure it out. But listen, we don't know everything. Go back to Isaiah 48. Look at verse 4. Isaiah 48, verse 4. I don't know that we'll make it through the entire chapter tonight, but we'll do our best. I think we will. Isaiah 48, look at verse 4. Isaiah 48 and verse 4 says this, Because I knew thee. That thou art obstinate. That word obstinate means stubborn. He said, I knew thee, that thou art stubborn, that thou art obstinate. And thy neck is an iron sinew, and thy brow brass. When I read that verse, I want to ask this question. How do you handle correction? How do you handle correction? When you, when you are corrected, you come to church, and the word of God is preached, and you are corrected, how do you handle that? When you're at work and your boss says, hey, listen, you're, you're doing this wrong. That's not how I asked you to do it. You know, how do you handle that? You kids, when your mom says, that's not what you're supposed to do. Or when your dad says, hey, that's not how, what I wanted you to do. How do you handle correction? Go to Proverbs just real quickly. Proverbs, if you go, you're there in Isaiah, you go backwards, you'll go past the Song of Solomon, past Ecclesiastes into Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter 3 and look at verse number 11. We ought to consider this thought. How do I deal with correction? Because here's the thing. We just got done talking about it. We don't know it all. We don't have it all figured out. You know that there are things that, you know, Lord willing, 10 years from now, I will realize, wow, I did not understand that. I was wrong on that subject. or I, I, I just didn't really get all of that. And from time to time, we will be corrected. Every single one of us will. But how do you handle it? Notice what the Bible says, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 11. Proverbs 3, verse number 11. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Neither be weary. He said, don't get tired of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as the Father, the Son, in whom he delighteth. You know that when God is correcting you, it actually shows that he loves you? 
You know that the father who, and the mother who loves their child and is taking the time to correct and discipline their child actually loves the child? The one who just ignores their child and lets them do whatever they want, that's the one who hates their child. And when God is investing in you and God is teaching you and God is correcting you, hey, how do you handle that? Look at Proverbs 29. Look at verse 1. Proverbs 29, verse 1. Because we all have the tendency to just kind of say, I don't want to be corrected. I just want everyone to always pat me on the back and always tell me everything I'm doing is right. But how do we handle correction? Proverbs 29, look at verse 1. Proverbs 21. He said, in Isaiah 48, 40, he said, Because I knew thee that thou art obstinate, and thy neck is an iron sinew, and thy brow brass. Proverbs 29, look at verse 1. He that being often reproved. You know that one of the jobs of a preacher is to reprove and to rebuke and to exhort? He that being often reproved. Notice this. Hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. There's no going back. So we ought to make sure we have this love for the truth. We ought to make sure that our hearts are right. And by the way, what that means is that we don't attach ourselves to any one thing that we're doing or one doctrine or one thing. And we just realize that there is always a chance that we're wrong. Now look, when the Bible is clear, the Bible is clear. It's not open for debate. We're not going to debate whether or not you can lose your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. You know, we're not going to debate whether it's, you know, of works or of grace. The Bible is clear. But in areas that we're just not sure about, we just need to realize that we're not sure about it. And that's okay because I'm not God. And because God is the one who, you know, gave us these things to be able to show us. And here's the thing. He wants us to be able to be corrected. He that being often reproved, hard as his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Go, go back to Isaiah 48. Look at verse 8. We're making our way through the chapter. I don't have an outline for you. I don't have, you know, alliterated anything. You're just going to have to write your own notes, all right? Isaiah 48. Look at verse 8. In Isaiah 48, we have a reference to what we call the sin nature. Notice what he says, Isaiah 48 and verse 8. Yea, thou heardest not, yea, thou knewest not, yea, from that time which thine ear was not opened, for I knew that thou wouldest deal very treacherously, and notice what he says, was called a transgressor from the womb. Now, 1 John defines sin as the transgression of the law. When we transgress God's law, when we break God's law, we have sinned. So to be a transgressor means to be a sinner. And he says, and was called a transgressor from the, from the womb. Go to Romans chapter number 5. Let me give you some, uh, just a few notes on, on this idea of Romans 5. Because a lot of people don't understand what the Bible teaches in regards to this concept. And, um, and here's the thing, you know. What I'm going to teach you right now, I don't know that it's that a lot of people believe anyway, but I'm going to prove to you from the Bible, and you can do with it what you'd like. You can search the scriptures daily, whether those things are so. But uh, Romans chapter 5, look at verse number 12. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. The Bible says this, Wherefore, as by one man, now the one man here is referring to Adam, the first man. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. So here's what you understand. The Bible teaches that sin entered into the world through Adam. Uh, the, the, before Adam, there was no sin in the world. Before Adam's sin, that's how it came in. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Because we know the wages of sin is death. What sin produces is death. So he says, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Now notice what it says. And death, and, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that, that sin passed upon all men. It says that death Pass upon all men, for that all have sinned. So all men have sinned. But here's what I understand. The sin nature from Adam was passed down to us. And what that means is, you've got to understand this. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. I, there's no reforming the old man. The old man needs to be done away with. Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, not a reformed creature, not a recovered creature. He is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There's no reforming the old man. The sin nature is passed on. But here's what the Bible doesn't teach. We do not get punished for Adam's sin. We get punished for our sin. Because when we sin, death passed upon all men for that all have sin. Now, here's what you got to understand. Let me, let me teach you something uh, that I get questions about from time to time. Go to Romans chapter number 7. People will have to ask, okay, so if we were born sinners, does that mean that a child, a baby, or a young child who doesn't understand um, the gospel, if they pass away, you know, what happens to that child? Do they go to heaven? Do they go to hell? 
and I believe they go to heaven, and I'll prove that to you here in a second. There are those who teach that babies go to hell, and those people have no idea what they're talking about. But notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 7. He said, well, well, okay, so here's the thing. Are babies sinners? And the answer to that question is a resounding yes, okay? If you don't think that babies are sinners, you've never had a baby, okay? Because sin- babies are bad, all right? I don't care how cute they are. And I'm not saying, like, they're bad, like, oh, they're just a bad baby. Like, they are disobedient. Like, you know, I tell my little daughter, Lydia, who's not even a year old yet, to, you know, not scratch her brother, and she turns around and scratches him while laughing. Don't tell me she doesn't know what she's doing when she laughs about it, okay? I mean, she, she is a sinner. But here's the thing. Okay, if she was to pass away, would she go uh, to hell? Here's what you've got to understand. The Bible teaches in Romans chapter 7. Look at verse number 8. Romans chapter 7, verse 8. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment. Now, the commandment is referring to the law. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, Wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without, I want you to cue in on these words, for without the law, sin was dead. Now here's what you can understand, look at verse 9. For I was alive without the law once. Here's what Paul is saying. There was a time in my life when I did not understand the law. See, my little baby daughter Lydia does not understand the law. She's bad, she knows what she wants, sometimes she cries. You know that sometimes she cries and she's been fed. And her diaper's clean, and there's no reason in the world that she should be crying, and she's crying just because she wants something that we told her she shouldn't have. She's a sinner. She, I mean, don't tell me they're not sinners. Okay, but you say, well, you know, but do they understand the law? And that's the point. Lydia and a baby doesn't understand the law. I cannot explain to them, you know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not, you know, commit adultery. So here's what the Bible teaches Paul said, for I was alive without the law once. He said, before I understood the law, before the law entered into me, he says, I was alive. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So here's here's what you're going to understand. Babies are born with a sin nature and they begin to sin even before they can understand the law. But you are only accountable for your sin when the law enters in. Do you understand that? When a child comes to the place where they understand the law, where they can understand the word of God, where they can understand the gospel, where they can understand that they're a sinner, at that point, the Bible says, the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. So when did Paul die spiritually? He died when he understood the law, when he understood the commandment. So if a child dies... Without understanding the law, well, the Bible says that the law, uh, that they, for without the law, sin was dead. Now, they're still sinners, but guess what? Christ died for sinners. And the Bible teaches very clearly they go to heaven. David lost a baby in the book of first, uh, 2 Samuel. We'll study it when we get to 2 Samuel. And he said about the child that he lost, he says, I cannot go to the child, but the child, you know, or the, um, the child cannot come to me, but he said, but I will go to the child, refer, making a reference to the fact, that, the fact that the baby was in heaven. So we don't believe that babies go to hell because they're sinners, but you understand, they are sinners. But until the law enters in, when the law comes in, when they, you know, and people call it that the age of accountability, and I don't have a problem calling it that, but when they come to a place where they can understand the law, that's when they need to be saved. Before that, they're just under the state where the, where the law, uh, for without the law, sin was dead. And there are Calvinists out there who teach that, you know, God sends babies to hell, and those people are wicked. You know, those, to, to teach that, I don't, you've got to, you, you know, you've got to have, be really messed up in the head to, to believe that, because the Bible's very clear. Go back to Isaiah uh, 48 and look at verse number 9. Isaiah 48 and verse 9. Here we get a reference to a, a, a phrase that's found a lot in Scripture. Let me show it to you. Isaiah 48 and verse 9. He says, for my name's sake. And the Bible uses this reference or like a, a, a variation of this reference a lot. He says, for my name's sake, now notice what he says, for my name's sake will I defer. Now the word defer means to put off. He said, for my name's sake will I defer mine anger. He says, and for my praise will I refrain from thee, that I cut thee not off. What he's referring to, he's saying the anger that God has, the judgment, he will defer it and he will refrain from it. For his name's sake. Let me, let me show you a few verses. Go back to Isaiah 43 and look at verse 25. We saw this in Isaiah 43. I don't know that we really highlighted it, but let me show it to you now. Isaiah 43, look at verse 25. Isaiah 43 and verse 25. 
I know that the sermon tonight doesn't seem to have a lot of structure. We're just kind of going through and making applications. But look at Isaiah 43 and verse 25. The Bible says this, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgression. Now remember, transgression means sin. That blotteth out thy transgression for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Here's what you're going to understand. You've got to understand that we are saved for God's name's sake. We are saved for His sake, not ours. Let me show you uh, just a few, a few other references. Go to uh, Psalm 25. Psalm 25. When you get to Psalms, maybe keep a finger there because we're going to come back to it. And I, I know we're looking at a lot of references. We'll see how far we get. But look at Psalm 25 and verse 11. Psalm 25 and verse 11. Tonight's more like a legit Bible study than a preaching service. We're just looking at cross-references and making applications. Psalm 25, and look at verse number 11. Psalm 25 and verse 11. Notice what the Bible says. For thy name's sake, for thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. Now here's what he's saying. My iniquity, another word for sin, he says, my iniquity is great, but for thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity. He said, will you forgive me? Will you pardon me? Will you blot out my transgression? Will you, you know, remove my sin for thy name's sake? Go to Ephesians chapter number 4 in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse number 32. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. I want you to see these verses. You can maybe jot them down as you take notes. Ephesians 4, 32. Now here the Bible says a little different. But it's still God's name, and I'm actually going to show you that in Isaiah 48 um, here when we're done talking about this. But notice what Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 says. Ephesians 4, 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Now notice what the Bible says. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Do you know that the only reason that God forgave you is for Christ's sake? That the only reason that your transgressions have been blotted out, that your sin has been forgiven, that you've been pardoned, is for God's name's sake? Go to 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 12. We were just in 1 John uh, just a few minutes ago, so it should be fairly easy to find. If you remember 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, Jude, Revelation, towards the end of the New Testament. 1 John chapter number 2, look at verse 12. I know we're looking at a lot of references tonight, but why did you come to church? You know, we came to study the Bible, right? 1 John chapter 2, look at verse number 12. 1 John chapter 2. And look at verse 12. Notice what he says. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Do you see that? Now look, this flies in the face of this idea. Because here's what most false religions teach. That God forgives you for your sake. If you live a good enough life, if you repent of your sins, if you go to church, if you get baptized, now listen to me, all those things are good things. We ought to go to church. We ought to repent of our sins. We ought to live a good life. But listen, God did not save you because of any value in you. The only reason he saved you is for Christ's sake. It's because Christ wanted you saved. And God and Christ died on the cross for your sins and he paid your penalty. And the only reason we're saved is for Christ's sake. It's for God's name's sake. There's no value in me. There's nothing special in me. There's nothing in my name that makes me valuable. I am a sinner condemned to hell. But for Christ's sake, I can be forgiven. And for God's sake, he will defer his anger. And for God's sake, he will blot out my transgressions. That's what salvation is. Now go go back to Isaiah 48. Let me show you another thing. Not only are we saved for God's sake, for God's name's sake, but look at verse 10. We are also sanctified. For God's name's sake. Now, the difference between salvation and sanctification is this. Salvation has to do with where you will spend eternity. Have you been forgiven? Are your, are your sins forgiven? Will you go to heaven when you die as opposed to going to hell? Sanctification has to do with how you live your life. It's not, it, it, it has to do with a, a practically getting the sin and purging the sin out of your life and be living a holy life here on earth. One has to do with our destination. One has to do with our life as we get to that destination. But notice, not only are we saved for God's name's sake, but notice Isaiah 48 and verse 10. Behold, I have refined thee. Now the word refined means to purge out the, the, the bad or purge out the... the, the the trash or the dirt. He says, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee, don't, don't miss this, in the furnace of affliction. That God will often put us in affliction to refine us. Remember Job said, When I come forth, I shall, you know, uh, I shall come forth as gold. 
said, I'm going to be refined. I'm going to be purged. I'm going to be clean. Notice what he says, verse 11. Why does he do it? Why does God put you through affliction? Why does God refine you? Notice why he does it. For mine own sake. Even for mine own sake will I do it. For how should my name, now don't miss this. For how should my name be polluted and I will not give my glory unto another? You say, well, why does God want me to live right? Why does God want me to do right? Why does God put me through all these persecutions and these trials and these tribulations? Why does God put me through affliction? Why does he want me to get the sin out of my life? Why does he refine me? And here's the answer. For his name's sake. And I love where he says, he says this. He says, for how should my name be polluted? See, you know what a Christian who lives in sin does? He pollutes the name of Jesus. You know what a Christian who just lives in open sin, open fornication, open drunkenness, open just living like the world, just being like the world, you know what he does? He makes God look bad. And God says, I'm going to afflict you, and I'm going to purge you, and I'm going to get the sin out of your life for my name's sake. Because I'm sick and tired of you polluting my name and making me look bad. Let me show it to you in Scripture. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Look at verse 13. 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. 2nd Samuel chapter 12. Remember David committed adultery, had the husband put to death, lied and did all those things. Notice what the Bible says. 2nd Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, remember Nathan came and, and, and uh, confronted David about his sin, put his finger in his face and said, Thou art the man. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord... Also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. How be it? He says, how be it? Notice what he says. Because this deed, what deed? Your adultery, your lying, your, your, your murder, your, your sin. He says, because this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And that's where David said, you know, I cannot go to the child, but, or I, the child cannot come to me, but I will go to him. And here's what you understand. God says, David, your sin has made me look bad. He says, you've given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And God says, I'm going to afflict you, and I'm going to refine you, and I'm going to purge you, because your sin makes me look bad. you got to understand this. We won't take the time to look at it. Hebrews talks about, you know, that he will be their God, and that he will not be ashamed to be called their God. Listen. When we live in sin, it is an embarrassment to God. It is an embarrassment to the cause of Christ. When you go out to the bar, when you go get your little you know, alcohol, when you go out in that little nightclub and you start dancing away, it's embarrassing to God. And by the way, it's embarrassing to everyone else. Some of you just need to realize you are old, okay? It's done. Let it go, all right? You're, you're old. You've gained some weight. You don't need to be in a club dancing and getting drunk. It's embarrassing. You understand that? It's embarrassing. Say, I wouldn't do that. Would you do that in front of Jesus? I'm going to go order something at the bar. Would you do that in front of Jesus? I'm going to go, you know, commit fornication. Would you do that? It's embarrassing. God says, I'm going to afflict you, and I'm going to refine you, and I'm going to get that garbage out because you are polluting my name. Because that was given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Psalm 79.9 says, says this, you don't have to turn there, it says, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of thy name, and deliver us, and purge our sins for thy name's sake. The psalmist said this, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. See, God wants to sanctify you for his name's sake. Go back to Isaiah 48, look at verse 12. We're going to try to finish this up. I think we can be done in five minutes. Isaiah 48. Eight. It's only 7.05, so I've, I've got 10 minutes still, but I think we can do it in 5 minutes, all right? Isaiah 48, look at verse 12. Here's a really interesting thing. I need you to pay attention, okay? I'm going to stop preaching at you, and you don't have to be uncomfortable anymore. I just want you to see this. This is something cool in verses 12 through 16. In verses 12 through 16, we see the Trinity. Let me show it to you. Isaiah 48, look at verse 12. He says, Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my call. Now notice what he says. He says, I am he. I am the first, I also am the last. Now, we've seen that a lot throughout the book of Isaiah. We've already ran the cross-references and looked how Jesus quoted that in the book of Revelation. We know it's a reference to Jesus and the deity of Christ. But notice, I want you to notice, he says, I am he, I am the first, I also am the last. So here's what I want you to understand. In Isaiah 48 and verse 12, the I who is speaking is eternal. Because to be the first and the last means you have always existed. 
All right? So the I speaking in verse 12 is an eternal being, has existed from the beginning. He is I am he, which we know is a reference to God. Now look at verse 13. Notice what it says. He says, mine. Now, the mind there is referring in verse 13 is referring is the same person speaking in verse 12 who just said, I am he, I am the first, I also am the last. He says, mine hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. When I uh, call unto them, they stand up together. All right, do you see how it's the same person speaking? So here's what we learn. In verse 12, the I speaking is eternal because he's the first and also am the last. In verse 13, he continues to speak. He says, my hand hath laid the foundation. My right hand has spanned the heavens. I call unto them. So here's what we learn. Not only is he eternal, but he's the creator. Because he said, I laid the foundations of the earth. My right hand has spanned the heavens. I call unto them, and they stand up together. So whoever is speaking in verse 12 is eternal. Whoever is speaking in verse 13 is the creator. Now notice, he continues to speak. Now he's directing his attention to someone else. Look at verse 14. He says, all ye. Okay, so that's the opposite of I. He's been saying, I am he, I am the first, I also am the last. Now he says, says, mine hand, he says, my right hand, he says, I call unto them. But in verse 14, he says, all ye assemble yourselves and hear which among them hath declared these things. Now notice what he says, notice. Who's speaking? The I of the I am he in verse 12. The I of the I am the first and I am also the last in verse 12. The, the mine and my and the I of verse 13. And notice what he says. He says, the guy who said I am the first and the last, the guy who said that he created the universe, he says, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Jehovah. That is the I am, the self-existing one. The one who, do you understand what I'm saying? The one who said, I am the first and the last, is now referring to Jehovah and saying, the Lord hath loved him. He will do his pleasure on Babylon. His arm shall be on the Chaldeans. So here's what we know. The, whoever is speaking in verse 12 and 13 is different from the Lord. Because he's saying, I this, I this, I this. And then he says, the Lord, look at verse 15. I, even I, have spoken. Yea, I have called him. I have brought him. He shall make his way prosperous. Come ye near unto me. Do you understand? The same person speaking in verse 15 and 16 is the person who said in verse 12 that he is the first and the last. The person who said that in verse 13 that he is the creator of the universe. The person who differentiated himself from the Lord in verse 14. Now notice what he says, verse 16. Come ye near unto me. Hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was. There am I. No, 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 notice he, he's talking. He says, there am I, and now the Lord God and his spirit has sent me. Now you say, well, what's going on here? Here's what's going on. The Lord God and the spirit of God sent the guy who said that I am the first, I am the last, and I am the creator of the universe. You say, well, I thought the Lord God was the first in the last. I thought the Lord God was the greater universe. Here's what you're saying. Who's speaking, that I who's speaking is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a reference to the Trinity because you have one person. Because you say, well, well, all this proves is that Jesus isn't God because he's referring to the Lord God. But notice, he said, I am the first and I am also the last. He said, my hand hath, done, hath laid the foundation. Let me show it to you uh, even further. I know you've seen these references, but let's look at them. Go to John chapter number 1. John chapter 1. Now i got to do it in six minutes, okay? So we're, we're doing good on time. John chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 1. Notice what the Bible says. John chapter number 1. Look at verse 1. Because look, remember where we started the sermon. Not everyone who says they're a Christian is actually a Christian. Not everyone who says they believe the Bible actually believes the Bible. And there are people that are going to knock on your door and say, Hi, we are witnessing for Jehovah. But they're lying to you. Because they're going to tell you Jesus isn't Jehovah. Or they're going to tell you, you know, God, Jesus isn't God. They're going to tell you the Trinity isn't real. But notice, notice John chapter 1. Notice what the Bible says. In the beginning was the Word. Now notice that's a capital W. That's referring to a person. In the beginning was the Word. And it's not a coincidence that the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 with, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then John 1 starts with, In the beginning was the Word. Now notice what it says. And the Word was with God. Okay, so if you're with God, does that mean that you and God are different? I mean, if I'm with, you know, Brother Daryl, I'm not Brother Daryl, right? But notice what the Bible says. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
How can you be with God and be God? It's called the Trinity. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Now, look, I don't understand it. Because like we've already talked about, I don't know everything. There are things that are secret that I can't comprehend. But here's what I know. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Here's what I know. Jesus said, I am the first and I am the last. I created the universe. And then he says, and by the way, God sent me. And the Spirit. Hey, well, aren't, you know, how can he be sent by God if he is God? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Look at verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. Did, did you catch that? That's creation. All things were made by him. By who? By the Word. And without him, the Word, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Skip down to verse 14. And the Word became, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Now, who's the only begotten of the Father? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only begotten Son. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. People like to say, nowhere in the Bible does it teach that Jesus is God. Isaiah 48 teaches it. Because later on, Jesus would say, I am the first, I am the last. He would say, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega. He says, I am the fruit and the offspring of David. He said, he, he, I'm sorry, he said, I am the root and the offspring of David. He said, I am the beginning of David, and I came from David. He says, I am God. I'm eternal. So you see the Trinity pictured there. Let me give you uh, a couple more things if we have time. Go back to Isaiah 48. Look at verse 17. Isaiah 48, verse 17. Isaiah 48, verse 17. Now, it's interesting how God does this because he just got done talking to us about the fact that he was going to afflict us in order to purge us. Meaning your life's not going to be great all the time. You're going to go through struggles. You're going to go through trials. You're going to have health issues. You're going to have problems. You're going to have financial issues. And most of the, I should, let me say this, all of the time, now much of the time it may not be because of sin, but all of the time it's meant to make you stronger and better and to purge you. Job was not under affliction because of his sin, but it was meant to make him better. It was meant to refine him. But then he says this, Isaiah 48, verse 17. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. All references to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the Lord thy God. Don't miss this. Which teacheth thee to profit. Do you know that God wants you to profit? Well, Pastor Menace, don't you know we're independent from all Baptists? You can't, you're preaching prosperity gospel now. I think I'm preaching Isaiah 48 and verse 17. The Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. Oh, that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments, then had thy peace been as a river, and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. God wants you to profit. Look, God wants you to prosper. Go to Joshua chapter 1. We had to do it quickly because I'm running out of time. Joshua, we're not going to make the 10-minute mark. Joshua chapter 1, look at verse 8. We'll, we'll, look at it. we'll do it fast. Joshua 1, 8. Notice what the Bible says. Matthew, uh, good night, not Matthew. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, Joshua chapter 1. Look at verse 8. Joshua 1.8. Notice what the Bible says. This book of the law, talking about the word of God, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now why? Why would we do that? Why would it not depart out of my mouth? Why would I meditate upon it day and night? Here's why. That thou mayest observe to do. Do you notice how that keeps coming up throughout Scripture? It doesn't matter how much preaching you listen to. It doesn't matter how much time you go to church if you don't do what you're being taught. It doesn't matter how much you read the Bible if you're not doing what it teaches you. But notice, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, for then, for when, for when you learn to observe everything that the Bible is trying to get you to do, when you begin to observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Isn't that what Isaiah 48 says? Go back. Look at Isaiah 48. Look at verse 17. Isaiah 48, verse 17, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. Oh, that thou hadst hearkened unto my, what? Commandments. To observe, to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Yeah, you can be successful, you can prosper, you can profit, and you don't have to be a Pentecostal charismatic you know, prosperity preacher to believe that? Now, don't get this misunderstanding. Remember, the, the, the perfect example is Joseph. And I won't take the time to take, take you there. Remember, Joseph is getting thrown in prison. Joseph is getting sold in slavery. Everything is falling apart in Joseph's life. And yet the Bible says over and over and over again that God made everything that he did to prosper. 
So you can prosper in the midst of affliction. And you can be successful in the midst of trials. And you can be growing in grace in the midst of, of the storms. But God wants you to profit. But here's what you've got to remember. It's connected to your obedience to Christ. It's connected to your obedience to the commandments. Let me give you one more. We're done. Isaiah 48, look at verse 18. Look at verse 18 again. Isaiah 48, verse 18. Oh, that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments. Then had thy peace been as a river. The idea of a river is that it's flowing. It's constantly coming. It doesn't stop. Isn't that a great description? Wouldn't you love to have that peace that just constantly comes? So you know what the problem with drugs is? Is that they eventually wears off. You need more. Well, the problem with prescription drugs is that eventually you just need an, a bigger dosage, another fix. You know the problem with alcohol? You know what the problem with, with gambling? You know what the problem with pornography? You know what the problem with all the, you know, just well, I, sleeping around? You know what the problem is? That eventually it doesn't feel good. The Bible says that sin, there's pleasure in sin for a season. But God, and you're looking for this peace, and you're looking for it to kind of, you know, fill this gap, and you're looking for it to help you. But here's the thing. The only peace that constantly, continuously comes it's connected to observing to do according to all that is written there. And then, he, and then he finishes that by contrasting it with this. Isaiah 48, look at verse 22. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. Proverbs 13, 15 says, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors. Remember, transgressors, transgressions, sin. The way of transgressors is hard. Hey, listen, kids, listen to me. Don't go down that road. Anyone who's gone down that road can tell you the way of the transgressor is hard. The guy on the street, and I'm not mocking them. We need to love people and help them. The guy on the street, the, the homeless guy on the street that lost everything because of sin and pleasure, it's hard. And people say, well, going to a fundamental Baptist church, that is so hard. You're constantly preaching against sin. You don't want us to go to the bar. You don't want us to look at stuff on the Internet. You don't want us to watch those filthy movies. It's hard. Listen, it's easier to wake up with your wife, with your kids, go to church, live right, do right, go so away and read the Bible, stay away. Hey, that's, that's easier. There's more peace in that than just losing your life to sin. Because the way of the transgressor is hard. And there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. And the world's going to try to make it look fine, and the world's trying to make it look right, and the world's going to try to make it look like you can have a great time. But the Bible says that you will have no peace. But when you follow the commandments of God, the peace becomes like a river that constantly flows, constantly flows. You say, well, Pastor Jimenez, don't you go through afflictions, and don't you go through trials, and don't you go through tribulations? But here's the beautiful thing about those things, is that I can prosper through afflictions. And I can have success through tribulations. Because when my fulfillment is in Christ, when my peace is in Christ, the world can fall apart, but Jesus Christ never fails, never changes. I love that song, Lord, I need you. When the, when, when the sea is calm, I need you. When the storms come, I need you. Because when we are in Christ and we are walking in Christ, the world can fall apart. That's fine. My peace is in the world. It's not in the stock market. It's not in 401k. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ.